Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. Today is Wednesday. It is February 24th, and we're back with another episode of Destination Different. So I try and use this little space at the front of the episode to share a little bit of what's going on with building this podcast. Each week I have somebody on the show who is building an audience, who is building a business, who is in one way or another trying to grow from nothing to something. And that is what I am trying to do with this podcast. And there's some progress being made. And I thought there's some value in sharing my story as I interview all these other people who are sharing their stories. So we just had the biggest month of Destination Different of all time. Most listeners in the history of the show in one month. Great. That's fantastic. I've received a couple of messages or texts or random people that have said, oh, I listen to the show. It's not that bad. You always you always love to hear that. People that I did not know were listening to the show. So again, little incremental progress. I think I'm realizing very quickly that pretty much any business, any podcast, any creator that has built any sort of an audience, most of them start doing things one by one by one. And what I mean by that is, in my world, it is getting one person to listen to the show, having them like it, and having them come back again. And if they like it, maybe they go and tell one other person that they like the show. And it is literally counting them. I I could name every single one of the people that follows me on Instagram right now. I could probably handpick the 50 people who are religiously listening to the show every week. That's the way big things start is very, very, very small. And I'm learning that maybe the hard way that you think things are going to continue, you know, accelerate at some point, but you got to just keep chipping and chipping and chipping away one by one by one. And so that's what I'm trying to do. If this week I can find one person, introduce one person to the show that is that didn't hasn't listened before, I gotta consider that a win. And so taking this progress one at a time. And our guest this week, or guests plural, is a perfect, perfect example of a company and a business and a brand that is doing something one by one by one and is building an incredibly powerful community and brand out of that approach. So on today's show, I am so excited to welcome Freddie and Jeremiah Ge- Jeremiah Vargas, excuse me, who are the co-founders of Tater Bats. And Tater Bats is a, as you might expect, a baseball bat company that makes high-end wooden bats for professional baseball players. Jeremiah and Freddie are brothers. They grew up in Connecticut. Their dad is a I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. He's a designer. They call him the mad scientist mad scientist by trade. And so about five years ago and, and six years ago now in 2015, the three of them said, Hey, we want to start making bats. Jeremiah was playing baseball at a high level and was working out with a former pro baseball player and they said hey let's maybe we can make you a tool to work in your training uh and so they spun something together and from there the story just continues to grow and they've started making wooden bats in their shed in their backyard it moved to the their basement they've now opened up a facility in waterbury connecticut where they manufacture and make every single one of their bats by hand their story is awesome. I, I told them after the show I probably could have 
sat and asked them questions for six hours because their story is fascinating. Uh, Freddie, if you, if you listen to him, he is like the consummate entrepreneur, just a hustler, a grinder. These guys have such a chip on their shoulder and I have zero doubts in my mind that Tater Bats is going to be the biggest baseball bat company in the hands of every single major league baseball player, just because of the attitude and the intensity and the love that Jeremiah and Freddie put into this business. So I'll shut up. I will let you listen to this episode because it is an awesome one. And with that, I will pass it on to Freddie and Jeremiah Vargas, the founders of Tater Bats. I hope you enjoy. Every day of the week, man. 5 a.m. is 5 p.m. practicing. Yep. Having my older brother, him throwing steam at me, and I'm eight years old trying to catch it and get hit in the face a couple times. But <laughs> And at what point did that, like, did you guys, you know, Jeremiah, I know you played all through college, and Freddie, did you play kind of all through, you know, at what point did you turn from a, a ball player to a bat maker? Yeah, so I, um, I played at CAU in all-black college, the HBCU my freshman year and I tore my UCL. So Tommy John never got the full surgery or anything, but uh, I just, you know, hung up the cleats, figured, Hey, I'm five, six, five, seven on a good day. I throw about 85 miles an hour. I'm not going to the big. So let me focus on my education. And then I actually gave up baseball, like completely stopped watching games. Mm -hmm. I didn't play any men's league games with my boys, no softball, nothing. And, uh, and just got pulled back. You know, after I graduated from UConn, 24 is when I, when I really started getting into making the bats and my dad and my brother and everybody really kind of pushing it. It was a snowball effect more of anything. Yeah. So I want to hear about that. Like how, how did you even get started getting into making bats? Like, were you a crafts, like, were you crafty growing up? Were you like working into wood making? Like, how does that even come to start to happen? be honest i don't neither of us are handymen uh it really started like i wanted to i've always been entrepreneurial you know in high school i would have i would do dj gigs i would find a way to make make money doing little odds and ends and stuff like that mm -hmm. and um even in college i i ran I, like i worked three jobs but i always trying to find a way to make extra side income and after graduating uconn i I got fired from my first job, believe it or not. I was making good salary, but I kept on falling asleep on the job. It was just so boring. We were auditing bank statements, and it's like there's only so many PDFs you can open and read, mm -hmm. pass out. And um, I ended up picking up another job as an analyst in Hartford and wasn't making a lot of money. So I was trying to find a way to make extra income. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, my brother and my father were training with a, a guy whose name is Darren Bragg out of the hit club. And he played it in the bigs for quite a few years. And mm -hmm. they designed a bat out of steel for him to practice and improve. And I said, you know what? I bet you I could sell that online. Like, it's easy. I've helped my company make websites, analyze data, do price changes, and so on and so forth, add campaigns. And I was like, oh, it's easy. Yeah. And it really wasn't as <laughs> easy as I thought it was going to be. But that's – so I focused more on the business end. And then my brother and my father focused on, like, the – production of the product mm -hmm. you know um maya was really testing all the product my dad was designing trying to find um you know different lumber manufacturers and i was literally like the guy like okay sales finance mm -hmm. a little bit of marketing ig social everything and figuring out you know running the business aspect of it right okay so i want i'm curious like i'm curious too your dad obviously plays a huge factor in this and like how so jeremiah like how did you like, did you convince him? Were you like, Hey, we got to Like, we got to go make this bat for Darren Bragg. Like how, how does that conversation start of I'm going to make. So the, this is what happened. I was, so Darren's a good friend of ours. Um, me and my dad, we trained out of their, out of his facility. My dad coached one of our teams. I played for them. So we were close. And uh, I used to hit it with them in the off season. I think I was 15 or 16 at the time. So early high school. And uh, he would make us, me and my buddy, Nick, who's a pitcher at St. John's now, he would make us use different tools. Like, pipes, sledgehammers, um, 
just a mix of different stuff that are pretty unconventional. So my dad was like, hey, Darren, you know, because my dad's a design engineer by trade, as Freddie mentioned. Mm -hmm. Darren, we can make something where it has the same weight that you want to use for the training, but it's pretty functional and you kind of like a universal tool. So that's what started it off. And uh, it was about 30, 40 pounds, way too heavy to use for training, but we used it, tried it out. And uh, we sat on the concept for a long time. So we never really intended into making it and producing it. That summer, I was playing for Baseball U, um, a team based out of Fairfield, Connecticut. It's like a, a New England type mm -hmm. you know, ball program that gets guys recruited for baseball. And um, I was playing there and we met a guy in Jersey who actually made bats. And my dad says, hey, I have this idea. Could you make it out of wood for me so, I, so we could hit baseballs with it? I just want it for my son and a couple mm -hmm. of guys that, you know, we're close in the family with and, you know, family, friends and whatnot who are using it too. So it wasn't until after that summer, mid, uh, pretty much was like around December, January, right? That year we started, really started. No, we started, well, we officially got our LLC in May of 2015. Okay. So summer prior to that. The summer prior to, oh yeah, building up to it. So when we decided that I, well, when I said, hey, I could sell that, it was like maybe April-ish. Mm -hmm. They were working on this way before. And that's kind you of guys like, kind of had a, a prototype of sorts that you were like, all right, this, we can kind of, we kind of hack this together and make something out of it. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's like, like I said, it started out of steel and we got the wood and we really liked it. And then Freddie was like, yeah, I'm all about it. Let's see what we can do. And we started making it ourselves. And then that quickly transferred into my dad made a bat for me because we were doing some woodwork on our own. Mm -hmm. And I was having some success with the bat. And that summer, my teammates wanted it, you know, and then little by little, you know, Tater's Tater really started in that June. We came up with our logo, our branding. And then, uh, yeah, everything just spiraled after that. So it's been a pretty, a pretty grass. Well, for actually first, before I go any further, Darren Bragg is both it has both been has some socks and some Yankees ties. Yep. You guys are in that weird part of Connecticut where you could go either way. Are you socks or Yankees guys or neither? For anybody who uses Tater fans, so okay, fair. Uh, we have no affiliation to any team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same deal. Used to prior Mets fans, if that means anything to you, but as okay. soon as Tater went to the professional game, it's like we we just watch games. If you know an inning or two of guys who use our bats, those games, so. Fans, fans of the game. I love that. Um, so it sounds like, like in the early days of, of Tater, it was pretty grassroots. Like my, it was your, you know, team that you're playing with in summer ball. That was like, Hey, I want one of those. Can I get one of those? And are you at that point selling them to kids that you play with? Or like, how did that go from like a, was it a business thing? Or it was more like, we're kind of doing this on the side. We're making some bats and giving them away. Like, was it truly a, a business at that point? Or was it more, uh, a hobby of, of bat making it was more so when I, re I really didn't have too much involvement in the sales like freddie said i was pretty much testing everything and my involvement didn't really start getting serious until probably 2017 when i hit college and uh so that first summer i was just using the bats test dummy i would you know tell kids about it this and that if someone wanted it, i'll sell it to them mm -hmm. but freddie was really doing all the work on the on the back end you know him and my dad were making the bats and i like i said i'll just trying everything out. <laughs> okay. And Freddie, like in those early days when you were starting to try and get the bats in people's hands, what types of people were you going to? Cause I'm, I'm curious for you guys, what the, it seems at least from like looking on your Instagram, looking on the website, like your target is kind of like high level baseball players. It's professionals. It's, you know, minor leaguers, independent leagues, high level college players. Is that fair to say that you're, you were kind of going after, like yeah, cream of the crop I, baseball players. And that's by design. Uh, when we started, well, when I started going out, really, like I would go on my lunch breaks at work. I used to get an hour, maybe a little bit less, maybe 45 minutes, but I used to stretch it. And I used to go to all the facilities. And then out of there, like everyone was like, well, you guys aren't, you know, a multi-million dollar company. How do you guys compete? You know, I'm not going to say the company's names or the brands, but um, that was kind of, um annoying to mm. for lack of a better term uh because it's you know here i am 24 started a business three months in you know just doing it doing things the right way you know making the bats and selling them at cost pretty much 
So if it costs us 80 bucks to make it, we're selling it for 80 bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, just learning one, the industry, because it's one thing to play in the industry is one thing to be in business in the industry. And there's a lot of older players in the game. There's a lot of new up and coming players in the game. That's including facilities, um, bat shops, pro shops, mm-hmm. uh, the pro levels fluctuating up and down. So here in Connecticut, I would actually go to tournaments in, uh, in North Brantford every Saturday. And I would show up at like seven o'clock in the morning. Like I was a psycho, like mm-hmm. games started till nine, but I wanted the best spot in the house. And, you know, there was a bigger companies there that was selling 30, 40, 50 bats in a weekend. And uh, we came in and we were giving them a warranty on the bat. If you broke it in the weekend, like nobody was given that mm-hmm. uh, came at a lower price point. And I would go there earlier, three hours before anybody. And I would stay five hours later. So mm-hmm. a lot of companies were showing up at 10 and leaving at two. So it was just pure grind. And, um, you know, a couple of times people would make those off comments of saying like, oh, you'll never make it. You'll never have any pro guys. You're a loser. So and so. And I was like, you don't ever. That was like the, the like the Field turning fire that really was like, you know what? I'm going to show you what's up now. The company that said that to us, we have more pro players than them. And it was actually a major brand, huh. believe it or not. And like, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And then so that that night when that happened, we actually had a I had a conversation with my father and my mom. And we're like, hey, I think you were there, but I, I don't I know. If you, it was there. And um, I was really leading the conversation. Like, are we going to do this? Because, you know, we, we finally broke even on everything that we invested. You know, mm-hmm. $20,000 on my credit card. Finally paid it off after five months, six months of just constantly grinding. Are we going to continue doing this? And we all decided, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it at the highest level. Like, we don't want to, you know, just do it as a hobby or, or sell some cheap bats. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious about the family dynamic of this whole thing. Like, you sat down, it was you two, it was your dad, your, your I'm sure your mom is, like, loving, like, oh, yeah, we're, I'm just going to go to quick $20,000 in credit card debt. So, like, what was... How has it been, I guess, maybe how did it start, you know, as, a, as obviously as a family di- piece, but then how has it been working, you know, with your brother, with your dad and your mom is involved, I'm sure in some capacity, um, like how has that been being a, a, fa- a true family business? So we're pretty unique. I mean, I think we're all pretty close. I think everybody in my family has known that I've been entrepreneurial. So they kind of were okay with it at the beginning. Like, oh, Freddie's going to take risks, but he's going to figure it out one way or the other. Because mm-hmm. um, I always did. But, you know, we've had our fair share of arguments, you know, especially in the very beginning when, you know, everybody didn't understand everyone else's part, right? So making the bat, you know, you know that part of, you know, the company, but you don't know the business aspect of it and vice versa or the marketing end of it or the actual use of the product or what other people are saying. So getting a pulse on everything was difficult to kind of like, get a full picture of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And there was points where, you know, we, we felt like, you know, sometimes some people were doing more work than others at some points, but it was because, you know, say I was working another job or my brother was at school or so on and so forth. So it was until everyone kind of got that full understanding of like, okay, uh, we're going to make sacrifices. And I think that was really when we made it to the major leagues is when that really consensus really happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, giving up your Saturdays and Sundays is not fun. Staying up till two or three o'clock in the morning, making bats is definitely not fun and packing them up and also doing it for no, for no profit. Right. So I think it was really when we made it to the major leagues and when people really doubted us and they saw that like, Oh, wow, these guys are legit. And then I think everyone kind of came into this consensus, like there, we have a lot of work ahead and there's no point of really arguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you, you're like you got something here, right? And we're you know we might as well focus our efforts in the work mm-hmm. and competing rather than competing amongst amongst ourselves, right? And as you guys have grown, ha- has it become clear the roles and responsibilities within the you know within the company, and is it still just really you two and your dad? Like, are there other people that help out at this point, or how is that gone? You know, I'm pretty adamant on if you want to do, if you want something done right, you kind of have to do it yourself. So we don't allow like a segment of the business to be given, like just owned by someone. Mm -hmm. So everyone wears multiple hats. So one day my dad is running a machine and one day he's talking to pro players 
one day I'm painting bats and the other day I'm talking to pro players or, or doing any, anything website mm -hmm. design or whatever. And same thing with my brother, one day he's preparing bats to paint, he's engraving, packing, or he's actually talking to pro guys, sending messages, engaging on IG, helping with the website, product development, so on and so forth. Um, so we all wear multiple hats. Got it. Okay. Um, and talk to me a little bit more about that kind of, it is marketing. It's also sales like of going after pro players. And what is that? experience been like for you you guys you know you have now landed a handful of players and i'm sure are going after others like what is that process and how do you even start building a relationship with a, a top level major league baseball player so i'll start from for the beginning of tater and then i'll just i'll try i'll let my brother take the other half so when we started tater i would literally go to baseball fields and just give guys the product i'm like hey swing this and some guys, you know, not to, to interrupt, but like when you say baseball fields, are you going and you're showing up at like city field or are you showing up at like, you know, the, the corner lot where some guys are playing AAU or something like so that? A little bit of both. Like, <laughs> okay. um, you know, some of it is also word of mouth. Right. So I have we definitely have stories for days. Like one story, one way we got a pro guy is back in 2015, somebody ordered a bat for their actually I was at a gym working out and I saw this kid who looked like a baseball player I walked up to him gave him my card and I actually never give my after that day I actually never give out my card and like I just didn't, didn't feel felt weird to me yeah I don't give my card unless people ask for it and uh he he bought a bat loved it his mom ended up buying one for Christmas and we didn't finish it until Christmas day so we delivered it to his house on Christmas for him and then they've been him and his brother have been customers of Tater ever since and it's actually the Galeno brothers and his brother actually made it to play pro ball. Uh -huh. And that's one way we got a, a pro player. But uh, in the early stages of like um, how he had Carlos Correa and, and Starling Marte. So the Carlos Correa story is really like we wanted, we started making MLB quality bats for everybody. We didn't care. Mm -hmm. It so happened that it was referred to him to use our bats. And they were like, hey, you want to make him one? He used a 33 and a half, 30. 0.5 or whatever sent out sent out a bat for him and you'll see how he likes it and i just started, just started talking to his dad i never met met them uh, it was never like intended like we were targeting him it was just kind of organic mm -hmm. and then uh you know for stalling Marte, the story goes back to literally we had to make a credit card payment and there was no tournaments going on and there's some like pickup baseball games going down in waterbury and i was just like let me just show up and see what's up and i brought a case and the guy goes hey uh my son plays pro baseball he's and i'm like are you from waterbury he's like yeah and i'm like if your son plays pro baseball i would know right you know like this is my backyard there can he's only like, there can only be so many pro, pro ball players coming out of waterbury connecticut right exactly so um we ended up sending them long story short we ended up sending them two bats you know free of charge just to let them try them and uh didn't hear from him for like six months and long story short he was using the bats Marte was in a slump he gave Marte one of his bats Marte went off two for three, three for three. And uh, he hits me up one day. I get a random text. He's like, hey, bro, my name is Ruben. My father met you. So like earlier this year, he sent me, you sent me some bats. I love them. Marte loves them. We want to place an order. And that's kind of like how that happened. Huh. So we didn't make the credit card payment, but we ended up getting Starling Marte and Ruben and a bunch of other players to use the bats. So it worked, it works out in the long run. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just doing the right thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Our first pro guy was one of our close family friends, and uh, his name is Manny Cruz. He's from Waterbury. So he was the first guy. He brought our bats to southern New Hampshire. So when we started coming in 2015, we still had our TV logo with the home plate, and we originated our cherry bat color because of Manny. And he was playing at southern New Hampshire, same conference that I played in, and uh, he was going off. He was a draft prospect since he was in high school. He got drafted in high school and out of college. So the year after we started Tater, he got drafted. So he was the first one to use our bats in affiliated minor league baseball, which is awesome because it was very close to, close to our hearts because we grew up together. We grew up mm -hmm. playing each other. Him and my, his dad and my dad are like this. <clears throat> and we're, st we, we're still very close friends. We're not even friends. We're, we're family, you know. So he was the first guy. And um, he spread the word a ton when he was in the Cincinnati Reds organization. And after that, you know, it was all word of mouth, despite like what Freddie said and what 
the major league guys. It was word of mouth, and it still is to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to consider our guys. You know, we don't. We like to think we don't treat them as customers. We treat them as friends and, and family. So like the Tater family is kind of like encompasses the whole brand of people who support us, whether you're a pro athlete playing in the major leagues and the minor leagues, independent ball, you're in college, you're in high school, you're still playing little league using our bats. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the Tater fam, you know, umbrella. And that's how we've gotten a lot of guys to where we are now. So um, last year we did the numbers. We were a little over 200 minor league players. Those numbers have changed because a lot of guys, unfortunately, lost their jobs because of COVID. And uh, we've had about 20 guys in the big league swing our bats in games. And the core still to this day is Starling Marte, Jan Gomes, who was our first home run, um, and Gregory Polanco. We got a guy named VML Machine, who was our first contract player in the MLB. And uh, he made his rookie debut this year. So it's cool because on any given day, we got guys coming in to hang out with us, you know, at the same time, they're learning about the process and they're picking our brains about how we can make the best bat for them. Mm-hmm. But we're also getting to know each other as people, becoming friends that we're able to catch up on any given day. And it doesn't feel like weird as, you know, a business talking to a customer. It's because you never want it to feel like that. Yeah. Is that a big thing? Like that players want to sort of see like how the sausage is made, that they want to come into the facility, see, you know, see how everything works. Like, is that a, is that a big thing that you guys do on a regular basis? Yeah. Yeah, we when players visit, we're they're here for like four or five hours. Mm-hmm. Sometimes get lunch together or dinner. Um, you know, any given day, I'll get a FaceTime from an MLB guy or AAA guy. Just say, hey, what's going on? How's everything going? So, and sometimes I just I just hit them up and see what's going on. Ask them about the family. Mm-hmm. You know, and and one thing they say is like, hey, we love that you guys don't pester us like sales reps. Like, there's companies that will have their guys message them every three four weeks. Mm-hmm. Hey place another order it's like honestly we know our bats are good they're gonna order when they need them yeah we have enough work ahead of us anyway that we don't need to keep on hitting people up for for sales right Uh, and they end up really they're our biggest sales reps so if they believe in us they trust us and everything like that and they just refer other players to us and it just becomes a big family it seems like the the quality of the bats is definitely like the number one, number two, number three, number four marketing technique for you guys. Um, what goes into, and I guess maybe my first question is, what makes a good wooden bat? I know that's maybe a loaded question, but like what makes a good bat versus a, a lesser quality bat? For the people who are listening to this that have might have never played baseball before, might have no idea, like explain it to me like I'm five years old. So I'll start. Wood comes in like anything else, A, B, C quality. So you have your best wood, your medium of a pack, and then you have your seed that's cheap wood that probably break when you swing it, rot, you know, knots in it, your grain. So when you look at a piece of wood, the first thing you want to see is that the grains are completely straight. That's the most important thing. You, you start with a good piece of wood that's that's a, that's dense, mm-hmm. meaning like there's a good amount of weight to it. Each billet is about five pounds more or less. The billet is the starting piece of the wood, so just a round cylinder that's about 36 inches, 37 inches in length. And then besides that, the actual wood is actually the design of the product. So how the taper is, like the medi- the middle of the bat the knob, the handle, the, the size of the barrel, all those things take apart because honestly, anybody could just buy the machine. It's like $60,000 or $100,000, depending what you want to buy. And they even give you some blank copies of, hey, here's two models that you can cut. Mm-hmm. Here's the two blank standard designs that you can cut. Um, and that's what a lot of people do. And that was really hard for us at the very beginning because there's, there's so many people trying to make baseball bats now, mm-hmm. whether it's private label, meaning that, Somebody just slaps their logo on because it's made in somebody else's factory and they just resell it with their own branding or um, guys that actually try to start and, and whittle bats in their garage like we did, but we, we, we did it a little differently. Um, so it's, it's hard. It was hard to differentiate ourselves between the smaller bat brands um, in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. There's guys that were, Hey, we were being compared to like private label guys that were buying C grade wood and throwing their logo on it. And, and you were like, no, 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 no. It's not like that. All right, exactly. It's like, hey, our wood costs like four times the price. Mm-hmm. And we're still charging about the same. 
Where so, do you where do you guys like do you guys go talk to lumberjacks and you're like I want this piece of wood and like how does 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 that is that something that happens how do you how do you get the wood and like do you how do you know what you're even looking for? Well, go ahead. So basically, it was a lot of trial and error to start. So pretty much wood made for for baseball bats is in our kind of sphere of New England area to Canada. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania is a big spot for wood. Um, Massachusetts, Maine, upstate New York, and Canada. But when we first started the company, we were getting samples from any any mill that we could find. Uh, whatever we can get, we were trying. So we tried in Pennsylvania. We didn't like the quality of what we were getting. Um, a lot of other companies were using it, so we thought it was, you know, we were hopeful that it will be something that we could do. But once we got the product in, it was kind of, you know, not something that we thought we could put our name behind. So that was pretty much like B or C grade wood. Uh, Massachusetts, kind of the same deal. And then through a lot of N, N work, we got in contact with two major lumber mills where they pretty much only manufacture wood for baseball bats. They're called billets or blanks is what the piece of wood is called. And uh, we actually didn't know that how much grade A wood really costs until we had to buy it mm-hmm. in bulk. So I know Freddie can tell this part of the story a little better, but I know you know where I'm leading into this, but go ahead. Yeah. So like when we started Tater, my parents gave me 40 grand. They said, buy the machine. And I thought I can buy the blanks as needed. So we're all like, okay, we'll fulfill demand. And as I get orders, I can pay off the machine. So when we wanted to place our first order for wood, it was like 20 grand. I was like, well, I only need like 50 pieces. Like I don't need all that. It's like, no, the minimum order quantity, you got to order like $20,000 worth of wood. Mm-hmm. Make it even worth it for me. Then here I am, like, I just borrowed 40 grand from my parents. I'm, my credit card's back at like 15 grand in debt. And I have no I have no, no stock, really. Like, I sold almost all our bats. And um, so my dad's friend, his name is George. He's a little bit older than I am. He's, he's an entrepreneur. He, he actually owns his own business. He has a family business. He calls me one day. He's like, hey, your father told me the story. And mind you, you know, I started asking some of my friends, like, hey, you got, you know, can you loan me about five grand? I'm going to buy some wood with it. Mm-hmm. Start making bats. A lot of people laughed at me. Like, there's a, there's a level of, like, hurt when people doubt you that really just pisses you off that you want to, like, prove everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. So George calls me. He goes, hey, I'll, I'll give you money. How much you need? I said, oh, we're looking about 20 grand. He goes, show up to my office. I'll give it to you. He hands me 20 grand in cash and was like, here, order the wood. If you can't pay me back, don't worry about it. I was like, what do you mean don't worry about it? Ultimately, we ended up paying them, paying them back in like two, two months, more or less. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, uh, you know, that was crazy. And then now it's like we ordered, you know, 20 grand of wood every month. So now you've got a consistent wood, like you've got a, a specific mill that you guys go to that is your, you know, go-to supplier. Right. Yeah, they already know what we want. We already know what to expect when we get it. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, and I'm, I'm curious too, because, you know, you guys have now been in business for a couple of years. Like how has the iteration process gone from that first bat that you're making for Darren Bragg to now where you are today, where you've got like big leaguers swinging them. And how do you continue to iterate and improve the bats over time? Like, it, you know, it sounds like you've improved the wood. Have you also improved the machinery that you're using? Have you also improved the process? Like what are those different things that you're doing to incrementally make them better? So the first machine we got, and I know Freddie said the story, our parents ended up paying for that. They took out a a hefty loan for it. And um, we got that machine to start first. It was kind of a, it was not the lowest tier machine. Lowest tier machine was about five grand and we knew we didn't want that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the most expensive one. So it was a middle of the pack machine that we knew that, all right, if we're going to get a machine and spend this money, this thing's going to put in some work for us. So we got that one first and we pretty much changed our two car garage. One side of it had my mom's car in it. The other side was our wood area. So we had our, our white CNC machine. We had two sanding lathes, uh, a saw and a cupping machine, which a cupping machine is to hollow out the end of the bat to make it feel more balanced. Mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much vacuums set up all around with tubing to collect any dust, sawdust, fine dust that was happening in the process. So that was the first machine that we got. We actually started off with a 
the first machine was a $300 Chinese lathe that we got. And it was the worst machine we ever got. From eBay. <laughs> like the worst machine that we ever got. Do you got. still have it? No. No, I ended up selling it. Uh. <laughs> I actually sold it to a kid who played baseball with me. He called me and goes, hey, I want to start selling bats in mass. And I thought he was trying to sell taters in mass. I was like, oh, yeah, you're the boy. Um, you know, we played ball for like six years together. Why not? Like, so he came. He was like, okay, how do I how do I learn how to make bats? I got my my own brand. I'm ready to make my own bats. I was like, bro, what are you talking about? I'm not here. I'm not going to teach you how to make bats. Right. I don't need competition. All right. So then um, long story short, he's like, hey, I want to buy this machine off you. I was like, all right, go for it. Like, we ended up buying, we were on, like on Craigslist buying older, like, industrial lathes and using those <laughs> and um we end up buying we have two hand sanding lathes now and uh we have a two paint booths you know we don't you know we were actually for a time we weren't even painting our own bats we were doing outsourcing the paint to a furniture company so one day like this this uh furniture comp this other furniture company in hartford was going out of business and they had all these like $20,000 paint booths and the guy was like leaving like he was like I needed diesel yesterday mm -hmm. I think we we paid him like five grand for two of them so we got two industrial like 40 in total about $40,000 paint booths for five grand cash that's pretty great oh we'll take it but um that was also another pivotal point like yeah you gotta you always gotta improve so we've always tried to find better equipment refine the process we're really big into six sigma like the most optimal way of like running the production process. Mm -hmm. So we either take less steps because, you know, you get fatigued after time. It's, you, it's silly to think, but two steps more for every bat adds up very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, you guys are still making them all by hand. Like the three of you individually are hand making the, all of these bats. Every single yeah. one. Yep. Yep. So our, our CNC lathe, the white one is still pushing for us. So it's computerized. My dad designs all the models, does it all on his computer, um, with a couple program with some programming softwares that, that we had to spend a hefty penny on as well. Um, but those, we have about 200 different models now. We started off with four. So those cut a bat in about two minutes. Last year, we made a big investment and got a new CNC machine. Cuts all of our game bats now, so strictly game bats. The white machine, our first one, only cuts training bats and fungos now. So we're able to double barrel and get production going on a day where we need to cut 60 or 70 bats in a day. Both machines are, are running back and forth, cutting bats each. So uh, we got that, our second machine last year. Um, awesome machine, brand new. It costs about 70 or 80 grand. Um, and our first sanding lathe, oh, this is a story I want to tell you. Our first sanding lathe after the, the blue one that we had, it was a, that was a Chinese lathe. My, we actually found on Craigslist and we were playing at, I was playing in a tournament in Worcester and I was playing in a tournament and my dad went to go pick it up from the guy's garage mm -hmm. when I was playing. So I get back, get, get to the truck at the end of the day. And I was like, what is this? Yes, I, just, yeah, I just bought this. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. How, like how, obviously you guys are all doing these by hand still. And it seems like you've been able to up production as, as demand has, you know, scaled, how, how many bats are you making in every, any given month? Let's say like, what is, what are you at now from a production standpoint? So easily a couple hundred, you know, our goal is to do 10,000 bats a year. Okay. Last year we did about 5,600 bats more or less. It's hard to keep track because sometimes, um, you know, some slip through it. We don't like somebody asked me, Hey, I need a bat 33. It's like, well, I'll just spin it up now. And it doesn't have a serial number, mm -hmm. but that is far and few. We've been trying to automate the process of keeping track of every bat, but we have a database now that keeps track of everything, but we've easily, you know, I, there's been days where I painted a hundred bats by hand, like, but, uh, we spray every bat. So you know, you go up and down mm -hmm. on the bat. That's probably like 15 times per bat. So my arm goes up 1,500 times. I'm spent after those 100 bats. That's probably the most I've done in a day myself. Mm -hmm. And what is what is next in terms of, of bat making for you guys? Like, is there a level of quality or is there a new style or a different approach that you guys are looking at that you're like, oh, if we could 
continue to push the envelope, this is where we wanted to go next. Like, is there anything that you're looking at to innovate going forward? So, so here's the problem. We've innovated multiple times and companies like kind of just copy us. Mm. We've created a pine tar look, which is a bat that looks like it has pine tar on it. And um, now everybody does it as their standard. Mm. But it was like, you know, we started this in matted bats. We were one of, we started matted bats before it became very popular. Uh, you know, we've started changing different colorways or creating different designs. Uh, so that in the wood bat aspect, I think we've reached to the point where we, we can innovate as much as you can in mm -hmm. terms of the look, the quality in terms of how hard we can make it. We have made bats even harder, but we just haven't really pushed them to the market yet because mm -hmm. we're still refining the process, still trying to make sure, you know, um, that, it, you know, we do a lot of testing. So it's a lot of R&D. Uh, you know, we're always looking out for new wood too. So that's mm. the other thing. Got it. And we've been changing our designs over time as well. What is that? What does that R&D and process look like? Is that just going out to the cage and like hitting balls and seeing how it feels? Is that, is it as simple as I think it's going to be? Yeah, we're actually getting to the point where we like strap players up with devices that measure different things, like how pretty much ultimately which bat is better for their body. Mm. So it's almost like you fit a bat for that player. Yeah. Yeah. When we started the R&D phase, it was my dad is a mad scientist, the easiest thing to say. So he was trying out new things, new finishes, new different materials, different processes in the bat making process to see what would make a bat harder, what would improve the impact and let the ball travel more. So we had a cage in our backyard and I would literally test every single bat that he that he made in the backyard along with Manny who was our first pro guy so Manny was also one of those guys who he was trying everything with us so mm -hmm. we're, we're trying a new hard finish on the bat we're trying it together and stuff like that so we we still kind of do that in terms of like quality of the bats we've kind of solidified a role in the baseball bat industry wood bat making industry as like one of the top um, we can prove manually and through different processes that our bats are one of some of the best performing, if not the best performing in the market. Um, we just don't talk about it too much or talk about in the marketing aspect, just because mm -hmm. we have to kind of be in the background a little bit. But there's always a next step that we're always thinking about, okay, we did this, what's next? Like, how are we going to make this bat just a little bit better? Mm -hmm. tell, me, tell me a little bit about, you guys have now expanded beyond just wooden bats. You know, you have gear, you have gloves, you have batting gloves, you know, there's, there's much more that kind of makes up the Tater brand. So what was the decision, I guess, to expand beyond just bats and how has that gone for you guys? So the hardest thing to do is make a good wood bat. There's hundreds of bat manufacturers, um, but not every single one of us, one of them is MLB certified, nor is our, our world baseball certified softball, world baseball and softball certified. So we're both. So we can be used in international play and in major leagues. The other thing is that, um, you know, we noticed that, you know, wood bats is not going to make, it's the margins are not there, right? Mm. So um, we want to make things affordable for players because we believe that if you're paying for an MLB quality piece of wood, you deserve it. Uh, but it's very labor intensive and it's just not scalable for us to grow to do this full-time. I still actually work a full-time job during the day and then work at night at Tater and every single other hour of the day that I have a moment. I want um, to talk more about that a little bit too. Like, is that the goal eventually is that you would be doing this full-time? How have you managed any sort of sanity with, like, do you ever sleep? Do you sleep? I am in, like, I'm insane. Like I tell people, I tell players that all the time, like we're in the process of converting our basement into a Tater clubhouse. I was actually for during Corona looking for houses for the sole purpose of making a photo studio so that when we get new merch in one room is dedicated to new merch, new product drops, where we could take high end photography. And then one other room was going to be like a YouTube studio where uh, we create content because we're going to be an MLB the show now, which is a, a video game that's going to be on the PS5. Most people don't know that yet. We actually haven't said it. We haven't made it public yet. And um, we have a lot of things going on. We want to create content to like really show people like, hey, they know us as the most approachable brand. We have more 
um, IG story posts than any other company in the business right now. People just shouting us out left and right. Any given day is at least 10 or 15 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to continue engaging and building that Tater family. So in that aspect, that's how crazy I am. Like, for, like buying house just for the sole purpose of expanding the business. Yeah. Have you, have, have you, um, like I, you guys don't necessarily have to answer this, but you are, are you at a point now where the business is profitable? Like, are you consistently breaking even at this point or how has that gone through the years with like the financial aspect of it? Like, are you able to pay yourself at all? I always like to ask entrepreneurs that like where, where you're at in the, the financial process. We could probably pay ourselves now like a reasonable salary, not even mm-hmm. a salary, but like an hourly wage. Uh, but we all came, we're all in the consensus of let's work for free and reinvest every single dollar mm-hmm. because, uh, that was, you know, minimum order quantities for high end quality things, such as the batting gloves is very high. So if I want to come out or we want to come out with something and it's like a high end batting glove, you're talking about, you got to buy 2000 pairs of batting gloves, mm-hmm. not 50. So it's like almost like falling into that trap again of like, Hey, buying the MLB quality wood. But, uh, that the story I told you about, but now it's like, we're funding it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we do make a profit, but we just constantly reinvest it. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but I have a couple other just like rapid fire questions. I want to kind of, kind of round out the conversation here. The, you said, you mentioned, you know, putting a photography studio in, in the basement or you guys are kind of, it seems like you guys man, manage all this like social media is that all self-taught? Like, are you, you know, you, when you're doing a product drop, are you, are you guys the ones photographing it? Or you hire, like, do you hire anybody out to help with it? Or is it totally 100% from your guys's brains? Yeah. So for the most part, we do everything. So me and Freddie take care of the website together. We talk about everything together. We have a couple of guys who are very close to our family now that throughout the years have been helping us out in the, with Tater, you know, guys who are with glove, uh, knowledgeable about gloves and apparel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Freddie do all the marketing. We have one of our good friends, Kevin, who Freddie met at the gym one time when they were working out. They used to work out together at the gym. He f- photographs for us. He's a great dude because he does it for free. He doesn't take any pennies out from it. I have a good friend from high school, not even from high school. We grew up together since we were eight. He is a photographer slash videographer. Um, he does a lot of work for us. And uh, we all do it together. So for the most part, it's all of us together. Me and Freddie do the bulk of it. This year, we just hired a, hired a marketing agency for one video. It was the release of our batting gloves. So that was the first time that we really did something like that, where we were giving the work to someone else. And it was still even hard for us to... We still directed the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't let them do what they wanted. You know, we kind of was like... I waited like 10 minutes, 15 minutes in, and I looked at my brother. I was like, hold up, we're... Like, let me, let me, handle we, need, we need to run the show here. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, Instagram, same thing. Freddie's used to do the Instagram, you know, for the first couple of years. Now that I'm home more often since I just graduated, uh, I've kind of taken the lead on doing Instagram and trying to get more engagement and be on a little more. And, and a lot of it is trial and error. Mm-hmm. Seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And a lot of stuff can't, you can't read about when it comes to running a business or marketing. Mm-hmm. And releasing new products and stuff like that so it's not even just the marketing end of it is like you we had to create a custom database so that we can keep track of all our stuff because you get to order via text you get an order via email you get to order through your website you get an order through somebody a referral so how do you keep track of that through the production process and know when the bat is at what step mm-hmm. because it's easily to slip through the cracks like i'm a big believer in not having any paperwork so creating a barcode system like we had it pretty much figured out ourselves, like mm-hmm. hire a developer to, and pay them 30 grand for an application that mm-hmm. we don't know if it's going to work. So I spent a lot of time like learning how to code and I'm not a coder at all. And even for the website, we've figured out how to make our bat builder and glove builder without having to pay someone else outrageous amount of money to do so. We kind of really learned how to do it ourselves. That's amazing. So um, every, you can get like custom, if you want a custom bat, you want a custom gloves, you guys can do all of that stuff. Right. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I, I always like to ask this, is there one moment or one experience 
that stands out amongst the rest. You're just like, this was an absolute disaster. Like, was there anything that totally stands out? I feel like all entrepreneurs have like one, but maybe, I don't know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I don't know which one to take. A lot. There's a lot. A lot of them, right? There's like, you know, everybody thinks like, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're immediately making money or you're very profitable. And the other thing is that I think entrepreneurs is a term that's being too uh, used by some people. Like mm-hmm. they just say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur, but they're not really doing anything. But uh, not to move away from that too much, but stories. My first demo day, I brought probably like 200 bats to let kids like pick up because I thought they were going to buy them that day. I thought that at a demo day, initially like, Hey, you guys know I'm going to bring bats. You guys can try these five because these are the ones I allowed you guys to use. And then mm-hmm. you buy the same ones brand new out of the wrapper in my, in my, on my table or in my box or whatever. I went and I was overwhelmed with kids and kids just picked up any bat. And I had like 50 bats that were used that one day. Mm-hmm. I had 50 bats. I couldn't sell because people, kids were using them in a batting cage. <laughs> And they all brought them back like, oh, thanks. We love them. And then they placed an order. But now I had all these used bats because they wanted custom. And I was like, wow, this was a disaster. I just lost 50, 40 to 50 bats. And now they're just sitting here. I can't really sell them to anybody. So they became demo bats for all of eternity. <laughs> they never get touched. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. I, I think, I don't know, like Freddie said, there's a ton. There's a ton of stuff that's happened where we're like, what do we get ourselves into? But there, this is a funny story. I wouldn't say it was necessarily like a disaster, but since we were doing everything out of our house for our first three years until tw- from 2015 and 2018, everyone was coming to our house to pick up bats. And our house was, we have a two floor house. The basement was full, full of bats on the ground. Um, everything would stand up on, the, on our hardwood floor. So they would knock down if anyone touched them. And random people were strangers were just knocking on our door on any given day. Like, hey, I heard you guys sell bats. So there was one instance where we're all sleeping. It's like a Friday night or something like that. We got to be up early. And we get a knock on our door. Someone rings our doorbell at 12 o'clock at night. And it's a kid. He's like, hey, I want to come get a bat. And I'm like, what is going on? And it was like, you know, things like that that happen or you're overwhelmed because your house is no longer your house. It's your, your house is a business that makes that, you, the bat factory, not making plant, you know, and, and then people are coming in you're like, you're trying to just have some family time or you're trying to get a workout in and do whatever. And someone's knocking on your door. But a lot of that has led us to do what we do now. And I'm not kind of ragging on it. It was just like, it was hard at first. Cause there was no, there's no way of getting out of it. It was like, you're always with it. You could always- escape it. I'm sure as you guys get bigger, like you'll continue, you'll look back on those, those moments fondly. I would, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still in contact with a lot of those people. They actually are the biggest trader supporters. Of yeah. The people who would come to the house. Mm-hmm. So I remember like our first merch day, like the first time we did t-shirts. So I think I bought like 20 t-shirts and I called Manny and I was like, Oh Manny, I got a bunch of shirts come down. And we just had him laid down on my living room rug and he was just picking out which shirts he wanted to take. And that was like our first time actually like with Tater t-shirts. Mm-hmm. It was kind of crazy. But you'd think like going back at it, it's like you're selling t-shirts off the floor of your living room. It's beautiful. That's that's like the that's the that's the rags to riches story right there. You right. selling the t-shirts off the living room floor. Yep. Yep. All right. So this is my, this is my maybe last, actually, I got two questions left. First one for both of you, Freddie, we'll have you go first. You can have any, any big leaguer past or present swing a tater bat in a game in the world series game seven. We'll say, who are you picking as your one big leaguer? My one big league, who gets more press than Babe Ruth? Okay. He's, he's always marketing. The guy's always marketing. No, no, but I would pick like I would pick Roberto Clemente. Okay, he's, uh, he's a player that's uh, uh, for the for people who don't know baseball is a he he passed away doing humanitarian efforts, but he was probably one of the best Latino players to play in the major leagues, and he's a uh, you know one of the player you know a player favorite 
So a lot of your players that wear 21 is because of him. So he's well, doesn't probably, Major League Baseball do the Roberto Clemente award every year? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So That's he's cool. uh, everybody know, you know, everybody looks up to him. So that'd be a no brainer. Okay. And I guess since Freddie, I was going to say Roberto Clemente too, but I guess since Freddie said it, we kind of have like a little running joke between me and him that uh, Jose Reyes, the ex-Mets player, we will, that we would want him to swing Tater, even though he doesn't play anymore. We, I grew up watching him play. He had a lot of swag. It's a cool dude. We'd always like joke around. Like, yeah, it would be cool. We were Mets fans at the time, yeah. you know. <laughs> cool if Jose Reyes could swing our bats, you know what I'm saying? All right, you guys got to give me one who's in the league right now. If it was anybody out there, this is your your sh- shoot your shot, put it out into the world. Who are you picking in the in the show right now? Mike Trout. Why not? Right. I like that. Manny Machado. That'd be a good pickup. Oh, let me think. It's hard because we want to say a couple guys, but some of them just received some bats from us. Mm, okay. I want to think it, you know. True. Mm. True. True. It would be cool if uh, you get someone like Tatis, but we, uh, he was swinging our stuff. He's sw- he's swung our stuff in the past. He's a, he's inked a nice little deal. So, but uh, maybe in the future things change. Okay. We get him. He's a cool dude. All right, I like those. All right, boys. Well, that was great. So, if people want to support you, if they want to follow along with what you're doing, where's the best place for the listeners of this show to find you guys on the internet and and support you guys? Instagram, Instagram right now is Tater Bats, uh, at Tater Bats. That's going to change soon. It's going to be Tater Baseball, um, pending a couple, few minor things that we're working on. So to kind of encompass the whole brand of baseball bats, batting gloves, and fielding gloves. And then our website right now is taterbats.com as well. That would be Tater Baseball soon as well. But for now, yeah, that's what we got. wrap on this week's episode of destination different huge thank you to jeremiah and freddie for joining me on this week's show their story is just so cool so inspiring i have zero zero doubts that this is going to be the biggest brand in baseball bats in the next five or ten years like zero doubts they have so much drive commitment, love for what they do, that this is going to, they will be big. I have zero doubts in my mind. So thank you to Freddie and Jeremiah for joining this week. If you want to check them out, make sure you check out at Tater Bats on Instagram, their website, same thing, taterbats.com. I'll get it linked up in the description of this show so you can see what they are up to. And other than that, Just to round it out this week, I know I keep saying it, I know I keep hammering it home, but if you're not already following Destination Different on Instagram, you should be. That is where all the the updates for the show are happening. I need you over there. I need you following along on Instagram. Maybe it's a waste of my time. Maybe I should be doing everything on TikTok. I probably should be, but TikTok kind of scares me and I don't know. Follow me, follow Destination Different Instagram and TikTok. We'll double down here. And that's it. That is a wrap for this week. We will be back again next week, next Wednesday, for another episode of Destination Different. Until then, like I always do, like I always tell you, stay with.
Take time, take time.